Some of the best stories start with, you're never going to believe this, right? I mean, we, we love to start those things out, these things that you just couldn't imagine might have happened to you, someone you ran into or, or someone you met up with or, or, or some, some crazy thing where you got some super special extra discount at the store because you just happened to be the thousands person in line on that day and you had brought all your coupons too so they honored those and you basically got everything you ever wanted for 50 cents. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. I feel like this part of the Gospel of John here, this, this part of it when Jesus comes to visit and Thomas isn't there is, is very much like that, right? Because the disciples, they, they see Jesus. They've, they've heard the story from the women and depending on uh, the other Gospels, how it happened, maybe a couple of the other disciples went to the tomb and he wasn't there and, and, and the women had uh, maybe talked to Jesus or not. Again, depending on which Gospel we, we're reading out of, and, and so they're, I'm sure that they're like, what is going on? Most of them had not seen him. And so there's also this other layer of complexity that's, that's going on here. When it was evening on that day, the first, so the women had gone very early in the morning, probably at daybreak to take care of the burial ritual. So now it's evening. So let's just say 12 or maybe even 15 hours or so have passed. It's been a long time, and I'm sure you can imagine the, the chatter. You'll never believe it. I saw Jesus. And as we know from last week's reading, the men were like, sure, yeah, what, whatever. But now they are still in the throes of this great fear that the Jews, it says. Now, this is an interesting thing here. John, the Gospel of John, often gets used um, in anti-Semitic ways, because he, he writes in here uh, many times, he'll say, the Jews did this, the Jews did that, etc., etc. What you have to understand about that is that is really taking, taking it out of context. To make it an anti-Semitic screed is taking it out of its context. John is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. But many years after the other Gospels have been or a number of years after the other gospel had been put out, many years after the letters of Paul have been out. And so there's sort of this inter-Jewish family disagreement going on because you have some people who are, who are trying to follow the way of Jesus and still remain and be good Jewish folks as well. And you have other Jewish folks saying, he's no Messiah. He hasn't brought about what he's supposed to be. So so John, I think, because there, there may be some persecution going on in, in, in between the Jewish factions here, John will use the word the Jews. And unfortunately, over time, that has often been used against Jewish people. And that is a complete misuse, in my mind, of the scripture. Because without our brothers and sisters of the Hebrew faith, of whom Jesus is one, Jesus was not a Christian, that newsflash, right? Jesus was not the first Christian. He, he was a faithful rabbi. Without them, we have nothing, really. 
as Christians. We don't have a foundation from which to grow from. We don't, we don't have an understanding. So many of the teachings of Jesus come right out of the heart of Judaism. So I just wanted to make that very clear this morning, especially after yesterday's shooting at a synagogue in California. Just want to make that clear. So Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, typical greeting, peace be with you. In the Greek, uh, so, in, so in the Greek, it uses a, a Greek word, Aaron, Aaron, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce it because I just messed it up and it left my brain, but it's very akin to the Hebrew word shalom or peace, but it's not just peace like don't have any conflict, peace be with you, no conflict be among you. No, it's not really that. It's more about may you have good health. May you be whole and complete in yourself. So it's, it's, it, it's it, you know, it's sort of like we would say, good morning, good day to you, you know, that sort of thing. It really is wishing upon you wonderful things. Peace be with you is like, may you be made whole. And it, and it definitely has a, um, there's some resonance there with that God is in the midst of that wholeness. And so he comes and just greets them like he probably would have any other time. Peace be with you. I love it. The doors are locked. Jesus just shows up. So we're not going to go into that too much, but just know that, that that's a thing here. And so, but after he says this, he shows them his hands and his side. So he's, so he's, again, people will make much of this, but I'm not going to make much of it. But just know that in the scripture, he's fully embodied. So much so that they can touch him. They, they recognize him. You know, it's not like he's in some disembodied form, spirit form. He, he comes fully embodied here. And he shows them in hands and side, and they rejoice. They recognize him. They're so excited. And, and who knows if they even understand what's happening yet. I think they're still at the point where you're never going to believe this. And he says again, peace be with you. And here's what's so interesting. He says, as the Father sent me... So I send you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Disciples are called the sent out ones. Disciples are not those who huddle in fear because of the authorities and because of what they think is going to happen. We are the ones who are supposed to be sent out in Jesus' name to proclaim his message. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then we have what we call John's Pentecost. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So it's this mini sort of Pentecost that goes on in John. In the other Gospels, we have this more major event where this Holy Spirit comes and there's flames of fire and, and all this sort of thing, which is, which is much, much bigger. But then Thomas, who wasn't there, right, as we know. We know Thomas wasn't there. We always call him Thomas What? Yeah, Doubting Thomas, or Thomas the Doubter, right, which I think is unfair. I mean, maybe it's a true, defi- maybe a true definition, because it says that he doubted, but I just think it's unfair that we sort of put him in this camp, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, you're never going to believe this. We saw the Lord. And what he said is he said, I don't believe you. I don't believe it. Don't. Which, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I, I would be highly skeptical of someone who said, 
Our leader died. And we saw him today. Three days ago, he died, and we saw him today. We got to talk with him. I'd be like, yeah, don't believe you. I'll believe it when I see it, right? I'll believe it when I see it. So I think we, you know, we sort of throw him a little bit aside when we say doubting Thomas. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, again, I don't know about you, but, but throughout my life, I, I've been, I mean, I'm a, I'm a cradle Lutheran. You know, I, I grew up in the church. And there have been, there have been times in my life where I've been like, uh-uh, don't believe a word of this. And I've had to wrestle with that. So sometimes I think we, we, we sort of say, well, don't, you're not supposed to doubt. You know, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to wonder. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to long for more evidence or something, you know? And so I understand when people say, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around it. And I just say, just keep, keep working on it. Keep thinking about it. Keep inviting God into your life to, to show you some new things. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hands in his side, I will not believe. So a week later they were there and Thomas was with them and the doors even, although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. May you be made whole. May you have health. And he said, and then right away says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it on my side. Don't doubt, just believe like I'm here. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, like he is so overcome. He, he makes the grandest confession probably in the, in the New Testament. My Lord and my God. And then we have this phrase, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe. John is writing this gospel putting this together, and he says it right after this. For those who have not seen Jesus, he's giving them encouragement that even though they have not seen Jesus, they were not able, like Thomas, to put their finger in his, in this, in his side or to touch him or to talk with him in, in this embodied form, that they can still believe that this is true, that this happened and that there is life in his name. And he goes on to say, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe. These are written so you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. That's John's whole purpose here, is he's inviting people not just into, not just into biological life, there are basically three, three different kinds of, of words that are used in the Greek for life. Two of them are just the life that we have because we're creatures. And one, one, one we might translate as psyche. The other one is bio, just like biology. And then the third one is zoe, which means the life of the age. And that's the one where, that we're, where we often translated eternal life, but it's really the life of the age to come. And, what it, and, and every time we translate it, we're actually saying that that is available to us now, that the deep life 
that God invites us into in Jesus is available to us now, and that is the life that we will have eternally in him. It's this deep life. It's this life that even when we cannot see, where love shows up. Even when we cannot see, even when we are in the depths of despair, even when things are not going the way that we would hope that they are, love shows up. Love comes in when we have locked our doors because of fear of whatever it is that we're afraid of. Love shows up and brings a key to the prisons of our hearts, the prisons and the boxes that we have put ourselves in because we are afraid of who we are or who we might be or what God is calling us to be. I know none of you have ever felt that way. You've always just felt at home in your body, always just felt at home in your soul, always just felt like you were in the right place at the right time, right? Yeah, I see all of you nodding. Okay, well then sermon over. Right? We create these prisons for ourselves and we deny the deep life that God is giving to us in Jesus Christ. And in every situation, whether we believe it or not, even when we cannot see, one of the things that Presbyterians hold near and dear to our hearts is that God is working in our lives, whether we see it, whether we know it or not. I know that's a hard teaching to believe sometimes. But even when we cannot see, love shows up. Because love showed up to show us what it means to have that deep life, that deep love, that deep joy. Love showed up and faced death, faced annihilation, faced despair and came out triumphant in Jesus. His resurrection means that none of that has a hold on us anymore. Even though we still believe that to the depths of our soul, we create these prisons for ourselves. That has been unlocked and that has, those walls have been broken down. When love shows up, it opens the doors to our courage. It opens the doors for us to have health and to have wholeness. To have Zoe, that life of the age to come. Love shows up to give that deep life to all of us and to call us into that deep life so that we might be those who bear witness to that deep life for others. It's not just for us. It's not just me and Jesus. I got mine. I'm good. I'm feeling whole. I'm feeling healthy. I feel at home in my body. I can be who I am, a created child of God. I can live this out just for me now. It's great. I'm waiting for that life of of the rest of the eternal life. No, we are called then and as the sent out ones to be those who bring this message of hope and life. We are the ones who begin to show up. And when love shows up, the broken and the sick get healed. The forgotten are remembered and embraced. When love shows up, we can embrace who we are in God. We can be who we are in God's name. We can love in the way we are given to love. When love shows up, strangers become friends. Enemies become lovers. When love shows up, the barren 
is made fruitful. Divisions are dismantled. The walls are broken down because we begin to see that there is so much more going on in this life than just what we can see. And so even when we cannot see it, we can believe that God is in the midst of it and love shows up. And we are embraced just as we are. And love, as it does, doesn't just leave us there, though. It calls us into a redemption and a transformation where we can be who we are and open wide the door so that other people who are living in the prisons in their minds can be set free. For the people who are being oppressed can begin to live with dignity so that the divisions among us become nothing more than a memory. That is our call, brothers and sisters. We are now the ones who, even when we cannot see, we are the ones who are to remind ourselves that love has shown up in Jesus. And as the sent out ones, we are the ones who show up in love. May you embrace who you are. May you know the deep life that Christ has already given you. And may you see so fully how love is showing up in your life. And may you find the places where it needs to show up and become that love. In Jesus' name, amen.